Good morning, everyone. So good to see you. And as always, we're glad that uh, all ages are worshiping together today. Um, and uh, this is the time, though, that uh, kid, parents, you can either bring, leave your kids in the whole time or have them go to kids' worship. Brian is waiting right out in the back, so uh, now's the time. Second hour and first hour. They forgot to say that both times. So, okay, well, you know what? We're, um, let me say something before we read the scripture. And by the way, please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Now, before we get going, though, I want to say a couple of things. We're, we're speaking, I'm speaking today on fasting. I know it's too late to leave. It'll be too obvious if you get up right now. And I realize a lot of people want to run from this topic, okay? And uh, this, this means you can't eat lunch, okay? So you know that, right? Okay? And dinner's optional. So if you stay in. No. Anyway, no, seriously, um, look, as a pastor... As someone who has the privilege of, of getting up here every week and preaching the Word of God, which I love uh, immensely, it's a huge privilege, many times uh, when you preach, you feel like you're over your head, and you feel like you're you know, way beyond uh, what you even understand or have experienced in your life. And I'll just say that with fasting, it intensifies because it is one of those topics that you, know, you don't want to talk about what you do, and then sometimes you don't want to tell someone how little you do the thing. And so... But I want, to, I want us to be aware of this, this, because on both ends of the spectrum with fasting, it's very easy to, to, to throw fasting out because of the excesses that happen, that have happened over the years or that presently happen in some circles, uh, where it's, maybe that's an abused discipline. On the other hand, it's easy to throw it out because we don't understand. But I want to say this too, is that in fasting, uh, with doing without your food to, to focus on God... Um, it's really easy to say, well, so-and-so does this, and so they must be you know, more spiritual and all this. And, and all I can tell you is this. As a guy who is, you know, I've always looked younger than I am. I'm 46, and 11, 46 years and 11 months old right now, okay? And I realize that for some of you, that's really old. I'm an old guy. For others of you, you're like, wow, you're just getting started. So thank you. Bless you for that. But I realize there are many of you who are hearing these words and you could tell this story better than I could, okay? You can give more of, of the depth of life than I could. And while I have studied this, you may have experienced it to a much deeper level. And some of you have, have uh, know Jesus as the center and the central focus of your life to a depth that the rest of us can only hope that God would bring us to. But you've gained that through life, through pain, through trials, uh, through the things that God brings you through. So I, I want you to know I'm well aware of that. I am every week, but, but I guess in particular with this, with this uh, idea of fasting. So please, uh, if you would, stand with me as we usually do. Um, again, that's a voluntary stand. I appreciate it if you join with me in that. Uh, but really just to, to, to say, you know, this is a time where we're going to hear God's word right now. Uh, and um, and God, God speaks through his word, and his word is perfect and without error. We're going to read Matthew 6, 16 through 18, just three verses today, okay? These are the words of Jesus. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, 
that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And Lord God, I am well aware that what we just read was the only perfect part of this service. When you, when you speak through your word, when your word is read, uh, Lord, we, we thank you that you have given us your word. We thank you, Lord, that you are here with us, present. And we thank you, Lord, that you will speak to us, that you will teach us. And I pray, Lord, that you would teach us what you want us to have today. Show us what, what, you, want us to re- you, what you want to reveal to us. And we will praise you, Lord. We will give you glory. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is talking about giving and praying and how they're not to be done to be noticed, but they're done with eyes focused on God, with with the, the goal to please God and not other people. Chapter 6 starts with the word beware. Danger, you know, it's like a big danger, warning sign. Don't fall prey to doing things for the wrong reasons. It's so easy, isn't it, to do things or, or to, to give, to pray or do other things just so other people will see, just so other people will notice. Well, Jesus is talking about giving and praying throughout this chapter, but now he turns to fasting. And it's a topic, again, that most people want to run from. By, by the time of Christ, fasting had become a ritual to get credit with God or get attention from other people. It had been abused. It was a discipline that had been abused. And, and fasting today is often misused for vain reasons. People, you know, fast to lose weight or, or something like that. Um, but the thing is, the, the central focus for today, the central idea for today is very simple. It's very, very simple. It's this. Fasting helps us focus on God. Fasting can help you more fully focus on God. That God wants us to trust Him completely. That God wants us to rely upon Him. And true fasting is one avenue to get there. God is pleased when we fix our attention upon Him. And fasting is one way to do that. Now here's the thing though. This is where it gets a little tricky. We're giving and praying are pretty straightforward. You can figure those out pretty, pretty quickly. Fasting is, is, while it's simple, it's more complicated. We often find ourselves scratching our heads, figuring out what, what does it have to do with life. Um, it is simple, but it's hard to figure out, but it's even harder to do for the right reasons. Fasting for the right reasons. So today we're going to talk about what is it? What is fasting? And, and, and why do we fast? And, and how should we fast? And what happens as a result of fasting? First of all, what is fasting? It is going without food for spiritual reasons. Now, some of you fast to get a blood test. 12-hour fast. No food. Some of you fast to lose weight. Some of you fast because you miss a meal. Because you're so wrapped up with your work or whatever. But fasting is going without food for spiritual reasons. It's voluntarily abstaining from eating for something God-centered, something God-focused. It's a biblical practice, by the way. Moses, David, Elijah, Esther, Daniel, Anna, Paul, and even Jesus himself 
They all fasted, and other people fasted in the Bible. What does God say about fasting? By the way, there was only one fast required in the Bible. Only one fast. It was in the Old Testament, on the Day of Atonement. On one day all year, every man, woman, boy, and girl would go without food as they mourned over their sin, as they, as they repented of their sins. And on the Day of Atonement, this fast was part of the picture that enabled their sins to be forgiven. Only one fast that was required. It was a time of mourning. It was a time of sorrow over sin. That was done away with when Jesus Christ came. That was done away with. Jesus, the atoning sacrifice, came for sin. The cross of Christ removes the need for the Day of Atonement fast. In the Old Testament, Esther called for a three-day fast when she was about to go into the king and ask for the lives of her people. She asked the people to fast for three days. The assumption was that they would pray. You never see fasting all by itself. Fasting is not a discipline you do just to do it. It's coupled with prayer. It's coupled with repentance. It's coupled with mourning. It's coupled with uh, seeking help from God in some way. So Esther called for a fast. Daniel did a fast. He abstained from, from certain foods. He, it tells us in Daniel 10.3 that he ate no delicacies, meat, or wine for three weeks. And for those three weeks, he was mourning. He was mourning due, an overwhel- due to overwhelming need. The prophet Joel, at God's direction, called for a national fast. Joel 2.15, blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call for a solemn assembly, gather the people. King Jehoshaphat, he called the nation to fast when Judah was invaded, 2 Chronicles 20. How about when Jonah preached? Jonah, when he finally preached what God sent him to preach in Nineveh, the whole city fasted. They heard that God's judgment were to come upon them. They fasted. They repented. They turned from their sins. That's why Jonah was so angry. Because God relented. Ezra, he had the exiles fast and pray for safety on the way back going to Jerusalem. In the New Testament, in the New Testament, very clearly, it is not commanded. Fasting is not commanded. It's a voluntary thing. And there are very few how-to instructions. Prophetess Anna worshipped God, it says, night and day with prayer and fasting. Luke 2.37. When the elders were being appointed in the early church, they prayed and they fasted as they committed them to God. It's important to realize that fasts have a spiritual purpose. This This is not just to do it. It is a spiritual discipline. Again, it is not just missing a meal because you're busy. It's not just working through dinner time. A fast can last anywhere from one day to 40 days without food. 40 days without food. But there's different kinds of fasts. The most typical is to go without any food, to not eat. But some people will fast from both food and water. Now, you know you can't fast from water and air for very long without dying. But you'd be surprised at how long you can go without eating and not starve. But Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights. We see it in Matthew chapter 4. The Spirit sent him out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And he fasted 40 days 
and 40 nights, and then the tempter came to him. Moses and Elijah uh, did, went through similar periods. Super, I'll call them supernatural fasts of 40 days length. Extended period of time without food or drink. That required God's intervention to protect them from dying. There are limited fasts where people will allow themselves, you know, juice or other liquids during their fast. There are partial fasts where you give up certain kinds of food for a certain length of time, such as uh, what Daniel did. It's not just the great people in the Bible that did fasts. To practice that through the years, uh, great Christians have fasted. We know that because they have they have spoken in their journals and 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 written about what they did. But they, great saints throughout the ages, have practiced fasting as part of their regular spiritual discipline. But fasting is really out of place in our culture, isn't it? it it's just foreign to the way we live on a daily basis. Why don't we hear much about it? Why don't we talk much about it in the Christian community, about fasting? Well, maybe it's because we're confused. We just don't understand and we don't do it. We're not sure how to deal with it. See, in the past, fasting got a bad rap. Fasting got a bad reputation as a result of, you can go as far back as the Middle Ages, where the ascetics um, thought that they had to do many things harmful to their bodies, many harsh things to themselves, so that they could get God's favor. They thought they were earning God's favor by by doing things harsh to their body. They bypassed grace and mercy, by the way. But it got a bad rap, and in the past it, it, it carried on. But what happened there was that the inward reality of Christianity, the inward reality of walking with Jesus on a daily basis, got replaced with the outward observances. Now those were supposed to be indications to signify inward realities, but form took over function, as it, as it is very easily uh, easy to do, that people found their security and their power in the things that they did, rather than the God who gives the ability to do those things. We know how easy it is to live like that today. We also know how easy it is to stay away from something because of the way that people have abused it. John Wesley said this about fasting. Some have exalted religious fasting beyond all scripture and reason. And others have utterly disregarded it. Some have exalted religious fasting beyond all scripture and reason. And others have utterly disregarded it. Now maybe we don't hear much about fasting because, and this is the part you might want to close your ears for today. If you don't like to be uncomfortable. But um, maybe we don't hear about fasting because we are undisciplined. We live undisciplined lives. Paul encouraged Timothy to discipline himself for the purpose of godliness, to be like God, to to have character that is in line with God. He says, discipline yourself, and that there's a there's a, a work involved with that that's not easy. Discipline yourself for the purpose so that you would be godly, you would be godlike. Discipline yourself in that way. When we do so, we know that we grow. When we don't, we know that we regress. We very rarely stay in one place spiritually. We very rarely stay static. We either progress or we regress. We either make progress or we, or we go backwards. We lose ground. Fasting is a, is a spiritual discipline 
that takes self-discipline that's hard to develop. Fasting is really spiritual training in self-control. That's tough. I like to eat. I like to eat a lot of good things. And God has given us a lot of good things with which to enjoy, right? But in these days of uh, food junkies, you know, and people medicating themselves to make them feel better by eating, or even the Food Network where whole TV shows are, are, uh, are developed around a guy eating the mass quantities of food to get a t-shirt or a sticker, get their name up on the wall, professional gluttony, abundant choices and, and, and quantities and multitudes of food abound in our society. We do not live in a, in a country where people are regularly starving in droves. It's happening around the world, but here in America, you've got all you can eat, you've got fast food, takeout, quick and easy, Huge portions, mass quantities, and so it's very easy to be a glutton. Not a word we like, not a word we even use, but it's very easy to be a glutton. And we hide it so well. We know how to hide that. By the way, it doesn't matter if you're old or young, rich or poor, short or tall, skinny or not, high metabolism or slow metabolism, fat and all that. Doesn't matter. Gluttony is an equal opportunity stumbler. We hide it well. It's three when one is enough. It's another portion, another helping when a regular portion would have been just fine. So we get used to giving ourselves, I don't know, anything we want. We feel like having a gigantic burrito, so we go get a gigantic burrito. If it's two for one, all the better, right? Someone has said, and by the way, for the kids that are here today, this is not about you. I just want you to know. It's about those other kids out there that are like this. I'm ser- and I'm serious. I'm not, I'm not thinking of you here. But someone has said this. Someone has said that our stomachs are like spoiled kids. Okay, and again, there's none of them here. But some, you've seen, you've heard, right? So uh, our stomachs are like spoiled children. And spoiled children do not need indulgence. They need discipline. Amen? Discipline is when you do without something to focus on something else. For example, getting up early takes discipline. You know, you set your alarm. You say, I'm going to start getting up early. I got to go to work. and I can't be late or I'll lose the job. So I'm going to get up early and, you know, get and read, the, read the word and pray and milk the cows and all the things you need to do before you get to work. And, and you, you set your alarm the night before And the next morning, you're like hitting the snooze 10 times, right? But then you set the alarm the next day, and the next, and the next, and the next. And the next thing you know, you don't need an alarm to wake up. Unless you're at my house, you got, you know, really young kids, you don't need an alarm to wake up anyway. But but here's the thing, it takes discipline, and then it becomes automatic. And you wonder, how did I get there? Took hard work. Playing on a sports team takes discipline. You have to do without certain foods. You got to do without certain activities to get better. So you go to practice so you can get better. And at practice, you don't play the game. You do things over and over and over again. You know professional baseball players do at practice? They hit, they catch, they throw. 
they run. Same thing kids do in Little League. I'm coaching soccer right now. I've been coaching my kids for 12, going on uh, 12 plus years in soccer, basketball, baseball, and there's another sport in there somewhere. And I got, I got two teams right now. I got a, a U17, you know, little kids, Sophie's team. And you got to teach them some discipline, not just the rules of the game and how to play, but you got to teach them the S's. You know the S's? You got to teach them about their, their shirt. Got to keep it tucked in. You got to teach them about their shorts. Keep them pulled up the right amount. And the string on the shorts, tuck it in. You don't want to get tripped on that. Now there's more S's. You've got, you've got the shin guards. You got to knock on them. Make sure you got them on so you don't get broken shins. Uh, you got you to have your socks pulled up. Right? And you got to have your shoes tied with no metal pieces embedded in the toe. No metal in the toe. Okay? Come on, it's kids' soccer. Uh, and then you've got the non-S thing, the accessories. There's an S in there. No, no jewelry on. You've got to discipline them to do that. Yesterday, somebody showed up at one of my games with the little girl who had the earrings on. They had to put the, had to put the band-aids over them, you know? Had to make sure they, they, they wouldn't get hurt. But you've got to discipline yourself. Simple things like brushing your teeth takes discipline. Teach your kids how to brush their teeth. You got to remember to brush your teeth and to floss too. That takes discipline. Now, what else takes discipline? Well, what if you want to go without a certain kind of food? Let's say you say, I'm not going to eat candy bars anymore. I'm going to do away with candy bars. Well, here's what you don't do. You don't say, well, you know what? I'm going to have one more O. Henry. I'm going to have one more Snickers. And then I'll start. What will that do? That just gets more cravings intensified. And the same thing's going to happen tomorrow, except worse. You got to go cold turkey. No more Butterfingers. All right. The thing is, it takes discipline. Think about it, parents, disciplining your kids. When you discipline your kids, you, te- you want to teach them because you love them. And so you, so you have them do without one thing so they learn something from it. Right? When you fast, you do without food to, more, to learn to fully rely on God. Fasting can be a really good thing, but fasting is, is not popular in our culture because we think we need three huge meals a day with snacks in between or else we'll starve. I'm starving. No, you're not. You're so far from it. You, you, you just don't understand. It's, it's, it's not, you're gonna, you can go so long before you starve. Um, but it's not popular, and you know, it's, it's portrayed, by the way, as a virtue to indulge and, and appease every human appetite. Now, you add to that the fact that most of us live pretty out-of-balance lives, insane schedules. Okay, I don't even want to tell you what my day looked like just yesterday with games and races and other things to go to. And, and, uh, but here's the thing. You, got, you live with an insane schedule, and, and it's evidenced by short attention spans, even shorter fuses, a lack of focus, irritability, impatience, the very opposites of the fruits of the Spirit getting paraded around on a daily basis by people claiming to know Christ. Let's just be honest. I'm being honest here about my own life. And then, then, then you want to say, do without food to people that are already on edge? Wow. <laughs> Let me just say this. That's, that's tough. 
Um, look, and by the way, I love food. Probably too much at times. Someone told me once, one of the members of my family told me not to name them, that they said this. I asked before I, I said, okay, so they won't be named. But a certain male uh, in my family <laughs> once said to me, they said, you know, Dad, you have the best job around. You get to give a speech once a week and go to lunch with people all day, all week long. <laughs> See, I, I come home and give them the report. I give them the report. What kind of food I had that day. Oh, and how many hours I prayed and, and all those other things too. Okay. Um, so look, here's the thing. Yes, a good appetite is a gift from God. The writer, the, the Holy Spirit had the writer of Ecclesiastes let us know that. We know that James says every good and perfect gift is from God. So food is there to be enjoyed, but not to be, not to be overindulged in. So gluttony and overindulgence, it has many faces, many sizes, many shapes. So, you know, we may be confused, and that might be why we don't fast. We might be convicted of a lack of a desire to seek God more than food. Maybe that's why we don't fast. But maybe, just maybe, we don't hear about fasting in the body of Christ because people are obeying Jesus. Maybe that's why we don't talk a lot about it, because people are obeying what Jesus said to do. Look at Matthew 6.16. What did Jesus say? Jesus is warning against fasting so other people will notice. He says in verse 16, and when you fast, not if, but when you fast, he's assuming that his followers would fast at times, and he says, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. See, maybe the reason why we're not hearing about fasting is because people are obeying Jesus They're keeping it to themselves. Maybe that's what's going on. And Jesus gives this warning. When Jesus taught on fasting, he said, when you fast, not if you fast. He assumed his followers would fast. And one day, John's disciples came to Jesus. John's disciples. John the Baptist's disciples, his followers. And they asked Jesus a question. In fact, you can see it right here in Matthew 9. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 14. They asked him a question, and it had to do with fasting. So the disciples of John come to Jesus, and, and I really can't believe they asked this question. I, I can't believe they asked it because they, they, they lumped themselves with the Pharisees. They, they, they ID'd with the Pharisees. I, I, I don't know what they were thinking, but they said this. They said, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Well, Jesus answered and said, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. He is speaking of why he came to earth. It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. We know that. He came to shed his blood for the sins of the world. The blood of Christ covers our sin. Jesus knew what he was coming to earth to do, and he said there will be a day when the bridegroom is taken away. After he has Uh, died for their sins and and risen from the dead and and ascended to the Father, then they will fast. Jesus said, in that day they will fast. Look at it. The the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. They will fast in that day. My my disciples will do that. But see, Jesus said, don't be like the Pharisees. They messed their appearance up to make them look all spiritual. 
He said, here's what the Pharisees would do, by the way. They'd mess up their clothes. They'd, they'd scrunch up their face. They'd even make marks on their face. They would even go as far as putting makeup on their face to make themselves look all pale and sickly. And, oh, I'm fasting. Oh, wow, you're spiritual. Ooh, you're close to God. A buddy of mine, we used to work at Downey Savings in, in Downey uh, when we were in college. And... Um, a, a buddy of mine told me that this one guy that was in our college group came in into the bank one day and uh, went, up, went up to his window and he looked bad, like, like he had just woken up. He hadn't shaved, his clothes were all messed up, he was all like weak looking. And he's like, well, what's going on? He goes, oh man, I've been fasting. It's like Jesus says, don't do that. What did Jesus say? Take a shower or your bath, or whatever, shave, shower, put on the juice, all that stuff, put your clothes on, and act as if you're doing nothing but your normal routine. Meaning that if someone in here is fasting right now, we shouldn't know about it. We shouldn't be able to tell. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't do it to be seen. That's what the hypocrites do. That's the people that go fake and put on a mask and maybe even pretend that they're doing what they're, when they're not. Jesus said, don't do that. Okay, so if we're not to fast so people will see, why do we fast? Why do we fast? Why would we want to? Well, first of all, first and foremost, it will be to humble our souls before God. To humble our souls before God. David said in Psalm 69 and verse 10, I humbled my soul with fasting. There is this, there's something about humbling our souls by not eating the food we can eat to focus on, on God instead of on maybe what's on our plate or what's before us. There's something about that where we, we come to God and we acknowledge, God, I don't have life wired. Humbling our souls before God is basically saying, God, contrary to popular opinion, you're God and I'm not. Humbling our souls before God is putting ourselves under God and completely relying upon Him for what we need. We also would want to fast to seek God's guidance. Many, by the way, many times in Scripture, when someone is fasting, it's to hum, they humble themselves before God. You even see that. Where even David said several times, uh, my, my soul was humbled in fasting. There is a connection. You never see fasting all by itself. You never see fasting just as an end in and of itself. I'm going to fast in a vacuum. You don't see it. You see fasting in prayer, fasting in repentance, fasting in sorrow. Okay? And so you've got the idea of humbling our souls before God, but also seeking God's guidance. Why did Esther want the people to, pray, to, to fast for three days? Because the, the people were going to be slaughtered by an evil uh, regime, and, and they, she wanted them to go to God on her behalf so that when she went in to talk to the king about it, she wouldn't lose her life, and also she, she would find favor in his sight. And while we might not understand it, there is something connected between praying and fasting and praying earnestly and being focused and not having our senses dulled. It's like fasting, doing without food, sharpens our spiritual awareness. 
So we seek God's guidance. We are admitting, by the way, that we're saying, God, we don't know where to go. We don't know what to do. We don't know which way to turn. We need you to show us where to go. We need your protection. We need your direction. We need your provision. We're in danger. We're in need. Help. You know, in Acts chapter 9, verse 9, when, when Paul, who was known as Saul at the time, first came to, to, to be introduced to Jesus, Jesus introduced himself to him on the road to Damascus. Saul was against him. Saul was gonna th- uh, had letters to throw Christians in jail. And, and God blinded him, knocked him down off his horse. Caravaggio, by the way, has an amazing uh, painting of, of Paul on the road to Damascus uh, on the ground uh, after falling off his horse. Uh, but, 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 but Jesus revealed himself to Saul and he blinded him. But it says that, that, that he did not eat or drink for three days. Was he concerned? You betcha. <laughs> Was he worried? Uh-huh. Did he know if his eyesight would get returned? No. So what did he do? We know that sometime in between, in those three days, he became a believer in Jesus Christ. How do we know that? Look with me at Acts chapter 9. It's, it's, it's pretty clear by the terminology that is used. See, what happens is God goes to a man named Ananias. And he says to Ananias, I want you to go down to Straight Street, to, a house of, to the house of Judas, and I want you to find a guy named Saul who is praying. And I want you to help restore his sight. Now, Ananias says, oh, God, you may have the wrong person because I've heard about this guy, and he's done many things harmful to your name. And God says, go, he is a chosen instrument of mine. And so you see, catch up, catch up with me at Acts 9 and, um, and verse 17. Ananias departs, enters the house, and laying his hands on him, on Saul, he said, Brother Saul. He was his brother by then. His brother in Christ. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came sent me here that you may regain your sight. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately. Immediately he regained his sight. He got up. He was baptized. So he had come to faith in Christ. And he ate food. He broke the fast. He was seeking God's guidance. Um, we also fast to worship God, to worship God. That going without our food can bring us into a deeper uh, experience of God in worship. To say again, God, you are God alone, and I am not, and whatever good comes our way comes from your hand. Um, See, when we we do that, when we go without food for a time, a period of time, and we come to God in humility, and we're asking for his guidance with an attitude of worship, with an attitude of, of, of honoring him, then things begin to change in our hearts. Things begin to change. Things begin to, to move. And we fast not for spiritual pride. We fast not for a story to tell. We fast not like the Pharisee, uh, pray like the Pharisee in, in Jesus' parable in Luke 18. Well, I fast twice a week. Pharisees fasted every Wednesday and Friday. What good did that do them? Their hearts were wrong with God. They weren't right with God. You know, it's, I've been doing a lot of study on fasting, and, I, I, and I'm, getting, I'm a little critical on this one, so forgive me, but I, I'm a little tired of hearing sermons and reading things about how to do it, because, by the way, I'm not going to tell you when, how, if, and if I fast or not. 
Okay, I'll keep you guessing. I will say that I have done it, and it's a, a beneficial experience, but I'm not going to tell you a story about some fast I went through. I've, I've seen that, and it just gets too close to the edge of, of arrogance for me, and I can't go there because Jesus says don't go there. Jesus says don't go there. When you're fasting, don't look gloomy like hypocrites, and don't do this. You get your reward in full. Well, if you're not supposed to do it when you're fasting, are you supposed to go tell everyone after? So, I just want you to know that. And, but I'll say that, you know, the, Fer- the Pharisees, like, well, oh, you know, the spiritual pride was, very, was, was, was really thick for him. And we're not to do that. We're not to do it for ourselves. We're to do it for God and God alone. 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, fasting would, would fall into the whatever you do category, do all to the glory of God, meaning not for your own glory, okay? Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Now, what happens when we, when we fast like that? Well, what happens often is that God gives breakthrough in our life for his glory and our good breakthrough in some way how should we fast how should we fast i've already mentioned the first way we we fast privately we are to fast privately we are not to make a show of it we are not to make a big deal about it we are to do it between us and god so others don't know we are fasting only god knows there Um, now there are exceptions obviously even the bible there were group fasts but it's the idea of only those who need to know ought to know. Now, God, Jesus never said to lie. So, for example, if someone comes up to you and you're fasting, you say, and they say, you like this nice, big, juicy steak? And you say, no, thank you. And they say, well, why not? Don't you like big, juicy steaks? Well, I'm not hungry right now. Maybe you are. But you, I don't think it's wrong to say, you know, I'm, I'm abstaining from food right now. For a reason, or I'm fasting right now. Be, you can't, you can't, you shouldn't lie about it. On the other hand, don't call attention to it. How should we fast? Privately. Um, there is, it is not commanded in Scripture that we should fast. Again, the fast on the Day of Atonement, which was the one commanded Scripture, was done away with when Jesus came to shed His blood for for sin. And so, it's not commanded in Scripture, which means there is freedom. That, by the way, and this should be freeing to you and I, we can fast, you can fast any day or time that you'd like. How's that? All right? There's no limit. You can go and do this, and God does not prohibit it, but he also doesn't say you have to do it. So don't let anyone be your judge on this and say, you better do this or else. Now, we also need to be careful because there is freedom and we can fast any day we want Be careful, as Paul said in Galatians 5.13, not to use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. To opportunity to enslave someone by that. It's really easy um, to to use our experiences or our our, our expression of something biblical as a way to tell everyone else how to do it. Isn't it easy to do that? To define authentic spirituality. Here's how you can be authentically spiritual and then share our experience or our expression as the outworking of it as if everyone else has to do that. So it's good to fast. 
And fasting is to be completely voluntary discipline. How else should we fast? We should fast dependently. Dependently. Relying on God for our every need. Whether we depend, here's the thing, whatever we depend on, we are controlled by. Whatever we trust in, we are controlled by. Think about the ads for food that speak to the control that food has over our bodies, over our lives. Our stomach has over our lives. Uh, there's, there's a scripture in the, in the New Testament about their God being their belly. Some people worship what they eat. But we are not to be controlled by our stomachs, but controlled by the Spirit of God. Richard Foster said this, more than any other single discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. This is a wonderful benefit to the true disciple who longs to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We cover up what is inside us with food and other things. But in fasting, these things surface. If pride control us, it will be revealed almost immediately. Anger, bitterness, jealousy, strife, fear, if they are within us, they will surface during fasting. At first, we will rationalize that our anger is due to our hunger. Then we know that we are angry because the spirit of, God, of anger is within us. We can rejoice in this knowledge because we know that healing is available through the power of Christ. But we are to fast dependently. We are also to, to fast confidently, believing that God will show himself to us. That to say to God, I hunger and thirst for you are sweet and appropriate words for a thirsting soul to speak to God. Psalm 42. Psalm 42, at the very beginning of the psalm, it says, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And then, and then Psalm, Psalm 63, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My, my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. The psalmist was confident in God. The people were asking him, where is your God? And he says, I will yet praise him. He is my God. He is my salvation. There was confidence in who God is. But our souls need God like we need food, like we need air, like we need water. Without God, we perish. And our souls find rest in God alone. And he will answer the cry of the weary soul that comes to him and he will give exactly what is needed. So what happens when we fast? What are the results? Jesus, by the way, look at the the last part of verse 18. Um, You know, your father who sees in secret will reward you. We say, oh, I don't want anything for that. I just want to do it out of the kindness of my heart and because I love God. Well, Jesus attaches a reward. Jesus puts something there out in front of us. Your Father will reward you. There is some kind of reward. What is it? What what does fasting do? What's the outcome? We know this for certainty. When we fast, to know God on a deeper level, it pleases Him. Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And he who comes to God must believe he exists and is the rewarder of those who seek him. What do we do? When we come to God, we humble our souls in fasting. We receive God's provision. In some way, God provides. Did you know that you fasted last night as you slept? That every person, when you're sleeping, you're not eating? And you broke the fast when you ate breakfast, if you ate breakfast? 
breakfast? Break fast? We humble ourselves before God and we receive God's, God's provision. If your soul is hungry for God, by the way, fasting can and will be something God uses in your life. One thing among many to draw you nearer to himself. But let me just say this too. There are some people who should not fast. There are some people who should not fast for maybe reasons that only they and God know or understand. Fasting, as we remember, is not commanded by God. And while it can be very beneficial for some people and for the church of Jesus Christ, there are some, including those with physical limitations, who should not fast. Maybe you're taking medication that you have to eat food with. Maybe you've got a heart condition. Whatever it might be, you, you might not need to fast. You might need to fast from fasting. But don't let anyone tell you that you're not as spiritual if you don't do a certain thing or you're not as strong or you're not as close to God if you don't do the thing they think you should do. That's Phariseeism. But when we fast, seeking God's guidance, we start knowing God's purpose to a deeper level in our life, even more than we did before, because God gives clarity. God shows us his purpose when we're focused on, on him. And when we're focused on worshiping God that we don't eat, we're so focused that we let our, our food even pass us by, then we experience God's power. There is some power that can, be, that can be had here that can't be had when your stomach is all full or overfilled. The true fasting is a, is, a, is, a, is a commitment to put aside distractions, including food and drink, to focus on God. Now, you might become physically weak when you do that, but you gain spiritual strength. We are weak, and in our weakness, God shows himself to be strong. Bruce Demarest said this, it takes great strength and courage to move out of our comfort zones and claim new ground spiritually. In fact, our greatest potential for growth lies in our areas of weakness. You see, fasting can increase your hunger for God. If you fast in a way that is, is, is in line with biblical principles, it can increase your hunger for God. It can help you feast on God rather than the world. John Piper, in his book, A Hunger for God, said this, if you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things and there is no room for the great. God did not create you for this. There is an appetite for God and it can be awakened. He says, I invite you to turn from the dulling effects of food and the dangers of idolatry and to say with some simple fast, this much, O oh God, I need you. I want you. You see, fasting strips us bare of all self-sufficiency. It drives us to our knees. We can't do anything but pray. When we trust in the all-sufficient Christ instead of our daily food even, then we can cry out to God from the depths of our hearts, God, we need you. We need you, Lord. We confess we don't have life wired. We need your guidance. We don't know which way to turn. We don't know which way to go. And we can, we can say, Lord, we love you. We worship you. You're awesome. That we're not God. We look to you. Let's pray together.
Lord God, we come to you now, and in a moment we're going to be at, at your table. We're going we're to feast on, on your goodness in the midst of talking of fasting. And Lord, we know we need your guidance. We know, Lord, we, we need you. And Lord, we know we love you. And we thank you for your love. And I pray now, Lord, as, as, we, as we partake of the bread and the cup even today, you would show us how sufficient you are. Lord, if you want some of us to, to, to engage in the discipline of fasting, just show us. We'll do what you want. And, and Lord, we know that when we're seeking your pleasure, we're not seeking our own. That then we are free to taste and see that you are good. And so we thank you, Lord. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name.